All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. And I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a speaking into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. On the count of three, I want you to say that word prayer with me. One, two, three. Prayer. And the voice that you heard a moment ago was by the great Christian English evangelist, Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill, a, a beautiful pastor and really one that I would consider to be a poet with his language and the ability to use words. This came from one of his most famous sermons, that, that sermon bumper clip you saw a moment ago where he talked about prayer. In that sermon, Leonard Ravenhill said these words, and I want you to hear them as an introductory to week number two of our series together. Here's what he said about prayer. The scripture says that when the disciples went to bed, Jesus went to pray. That was his custom. It was the custom of Jesus to pray. He says, now Jesus was the Son of God, and he was absolutely, definitely anointed for his ministry. But if Jesus needed all of that time in prayer, don't you and I need that time in prayer as well? If Jesus, he said, needed prayer in times of crisis, don't you and I need prayer in times of crisis as well? See, there is something special about the spiritual discipline of prayer. And I want to take the next few weeks, kicking this off last Sunday, and talk about and teach on this discipline of prayer. And here's why. Because of all of the topics that we could choose to preach on or speak on, of all of the series that we could jump into and dissect and look at Scripture in, I don't know of a more important topic, of a more uh, life-changing, life-altering topic than when an individual comes into this understanding about the power and the purpose of prayer. The Bible says this, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, seek my face, and what, church? Pray. Somebody say pray. And turn from their wicked ways. Then God gives us this promise. And he says, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land. That There is not a more important topic than the topic of prayer. Because for a Christian, praying is our breathing. It is, it is our lifeline. And there is no situation too big that God cannot handle when you pray. And there is no situation too small that God is not strong enough or not concerned enough about to meet you at the point of that need. But he calls us into this discipline. He calls us into this lifestyle of prayer. 
So here's the first thing that I want to do. I want to give you three quick truths about prayer, and then I'll share with you specifically what the Lord dropped in my heart for week number two. I encourage everybody to take some notes in some way, shape, or form. Borrow a pen from somebody near you. Take out your smartphone. Just don't get ADD and get on Twitter or Instagram, all right? But take some notes. Uh, If you still don't have anything to write with, look at the lady near you. Borrow some mascara or lipstick. Just write something down somewhere. Here's the first truth about prayer. Prayer is simply spiritual communication between me and God. A prayer is spiritual communication between you and God, between us and God. Watch this. Prayer is a a two-way relationship. Prayer is an opportunity where we can talk to God and God can talk to us. Come on, give me a good amen right there. So prayer is this opportunity to be still, Make our requests known to God. To hear God deposit some things in our spirit and in our lives. And how many of you, by a show of hands, respectfully, but you're going through some things in your life? Come on, if you're going through some stuff. Okay, prayer is this spiritual communication where you can say, God, this is what I'm going through. I'm giving it to you. I'm laying it at your feet. And then God can, watch this, God can talk back to you on how you can navigate through whatever it is that you're faced against. So, so prayer is just this spiritual communication between you and God, between me and God. Here's the second truth, and all of these are truths, meaning that they're real. Second one is this. Prayer doesn't always change my circumstance, but prayer always can change me. Come on, you should have given me a better amen than that right there. Prayer doesn't always change the circumstance, but it can always change me. When we pray, and I think that this is where so many Christians uh, miss out on what the full understanding of prayer can, can be and reveal. Prayer is so much more than just receiving a yes or a no from God about a need or a problem. Prayer can change you. And I want want to sit on this word, can, for just a moment because you have to allow prayer to change you. It can change you if you allow it to change you. The truth is this, to pray, to really pray is to change. Because when we present things to God, God will then say back to us, now there are some things that you're going to have to change. Listen to me. And prayer is truly about being transformed by God. Consider it like this. Prayer is the interstate that leads us to transformation. Prayer is the highway. Prayer is the road that leads us to change. When I was in college, uh, we were assigned a book to read, many books to read, but one that not only stood out to me as a student, but still stands on my personal library today. The book was by an author named Richard Foster. Richard Foster wrote two incredible books that I've read. Uh, One was called The Celebration of Discipline, and that's the book that changed my, my life, learning about the importance of the spiritual disciplines. And he called them Celebration of Disciplines, which kind of sounds more like an oxymoron. How do you celebrate being disciplined? I encourage you to read it. The second book, however, he wrote was called Prayer, Finding Heart's True Home. 
And in that particular book, here's one paragraph that leaped out on the page in my heart. Richard Foster says this. The primary purpose of prayer is to bring us into such a life of communion with the Father that by the power of the Spirit, we are increasingly conformed to the image of the Son. What he's saying here is this, is that to pray is to change. That when you go before God, that God is going to challenge you to change some things about you. And the primary purpose of prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are conformed. We are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son. So prayer is more, right, this is a thought that the Lord gave me, and he gave it to me early this morning. Prayer is more about transformation of the heart than it is about transformation of a need. Prayer is more about the transformation of your heart than it is about the transformation of a need. Because there have been a dozen prayers, a hundred prayers, a thousand prayers that I prayed that God would change the need and it didn't turn out like I thought it would. Come on, somebody else testify right there now. But on the other end of that prayer, on the other side of that faith, on the other side of that discipline, God changed me. Here's the third truth about prayer. For time's sake, we'll keep moving. Watch this. Prayer should never be complicated. I think that you and I complicate, we complicate prayer. If you read your Bible, you'll see over and over again that, that Jesus taught us to come to him or to approach him like children would approach their father. Now, I got two kids, and I talk about them a lot in a good way, and I'm glad that you give me the opportunity because they give me a ton of sermon material. My son, Lakeland, who's eight, my daughter, London, who is three, their, their speech is not eloquent. They, they don't, at their age impress me with their vocabulary. Now, as they grow and as they mature, it's quite impressive to see them evolve in their learning and their understanding. And now in my house, we're at that age with both of them where Kimberly and I can no longer spell words that we don't want them to know. Come on now. How many of you remember doing that? As I almost spell this out. And now when we spell it, they're both like, oh, yeah. But, but you know what they are? Let me, let me tell you what my children are when they approach their father, when they approach their mother. They're real. <laughs> They're honest. They're sincere. When they come to their father with a need, they come to me in full confidence and in full faith that their daddy is going to take care of them. They don't think about the possibility of dad not being able to provide whatever it is that they need. When they come to me, they don't say, Father, today my appetite is quite, I'm quite famished today. Would you please provide for me succulent meat that I might nibble on and taste on the tip of my tongue so that then the nutrients could touch my inner belly so that I might grow into all things that God would have for me today, tomorrow, and in the days to come? <laughs> Ain't nobody in my house talking like that. You know what they say? Yo, I'm hungry. And then usually my response is, look in the fridge. 
I want pizza. That, that, that is the heart of my children. I want pasta. I need food. That's it. And then what do we do as parents? We provide that need. Do you know why Jesus answers your prayer? Not, not because your prayer is overly complicated and you try to crowd it with fancy words. No, he answers your prayer because it is his children talking to their father. And you need to know something, and this is critically important to the discipline in prayer and, and just as being a Christian in general. You cannot impress God. You're, you're not able to impress God. So when you go to God in prayer and you think, okay, God will be able to hear my prayer and answer my prayer if I pray in the King James dialect, honey, you're mistaken. God is not impressed with you approaching him with your sophisticated and scintillating rhetoric and dialect. If you're doing that, you're missing the point of prayer and you're missing the power of prayer. Some of the most powerful prayers that I have ever prayed have been messy prayers, ugly prayers, where I have cried more than I, I feel like preaching now, come on somebody, where I have cried before the Lord, I have laid before the Lord, and I've said, God, I don't know what to say, but you know every need, you see it before I came into it, you know every hair that is on my head, so the Bible says, to cast all my cares on you, because you care for me, just like my children, they, they do not hesitate to bring their need to me no matter what it is so I can't be hesitant to bring my prayer requests to God now watch this and I, you got to hear me you cannot and should not confuse simple with safe hear me I'll explain it but let it let it sink in let it let it marinate for a minute do not confuse simple with safe. Because over the course of this series, on the other side of 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're not looking at safe prayers. I'm not looking at generic prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. What a great prayer. But that is a generic, predictable prayer. We're looking at being simple in our prayer life, but not safe in our prayer life. So in week number one, this is what we talked about. Basically, the whole point of week one was this. Hear me when I pray. That, that, is, a, that is a simple prayer, but that's not a safe prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Dangerous in a good way. Today, we're going to talk about search me when I pray. That's a simple prayer, but let me tell you, that is not a safe prayer. Because if you invite God to search you, some things will be discovered. Come on now. So there's a difference between simple and safe. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at these different types of prayers and understand that they're not complicated, but they're not safe either. They're dangerous prayers to pray, dangerous in a good way because they possess the potential and they possess the power to change the trajectory of our lives. Come on, here's what I want you to do. I've been fasting along with you. I'm going to get a sip of water. If you're excited about the power of prayer, I want you to give God thanks until I get back on this microphone. Come on, somebody. Let's go. Come on, if you love to pray, if you love the Lord, come on. All right, watch this. Go with me in the Bible to Psalm 139. Come on, take, take your scripture out. 
If your Bible glows, if it's your smartphone, take that smartphone out. Lean over, look at somebody's scripture next to you. I want you to see Psalm 139. Now, a little context here about Psalm 139 is, Psalm 139 is, is one long prayer. It's actually one, one long, detailed conversation with God. The writer is the psalmist David. And when you read it, and I encourage you to do that, some homework for today to read all of Psalm 139. When you read it, you'll see how David is aware that God must be an intimate part of every aspect of his life. Now, when we get to verse 23, and that's where we're going to sit on today, we see that this is David's response in prayer about the accusations of him not being loyal to God. So David had some people that said, David, David's not loyal to God. And in prayer, this is David's response. Verse 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. He says this, search me, God. This is the, the topic here. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. On the count of three, uh, both campuses, Go Church, you're watching online today because of the snowstorm. But I want everybody on the count of three to read these two verses together. Let's try to stay together. If one person's too slow, help them speed up. If one person's too fast, them slow down. You ready? One, two, three. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, in order for us to really understand and dissect and appreciate this prayer that David prayed, I want to break these two verses down into four sub-parts or into four thoughts. And I want you to see this. Write this down. The first thing that David says is this. Search me and know my heart. It's what he said in verse 23. Search me, God. And know my heart. Now, for some of you, you might look at this verse and you would ask, why, why would we ask God to search our heart? Because he already knows it. So why should I ask God to search my heart if he already knows it? And I want you to lean in for just a second because the Lord gave me a little bit of clarity here. When, when David asked God to search his heart, David wasn't asking God to find something. David was asking God to tell David about something. It was David who was needing to be revealed what the contents of his heart was. God, God already knew what the makeup of his heart was. God already knows the makeup of your heart and my heart. But when we say, God, search me and know my heart, what we're saying is, God, reveal something to me about my heart. Tell Tell me something about my heart. The prophet Jeremiah tells us about the heart, and he says this. He says, look, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. He says, your heart is desperately wicked. You see that? He says, you, you don't even know how bad it really is. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, uh, we would lie to ourselves. And some of the most common lies are the ones we tell ourselves. And we would say, no, I, I, think I've got, I think I've got a good heart. But listen to me, don't be deceived. 
And don't fall into that deception. Don't lie to yourself and say, hey, my heart is good, so I don't need God to search it. Because if you do that, you'll have a spiritual heart attack. Come on, give me an amen right there. See, because without God, you do not have a good heart. Without God, I do not have a clean heart. Without God, I do not have a pure heart. The heart is, is deceitful above all things. Above all things, this heart can be tainted and infiltrated with things of this world. And that's why we need this type of prayer on a daily basis. God, search my heart. Show, let, me, let me make it simple. Show me what's in there. Show, show me what's going on in my heart. Do, do some spiritual heart surgery on me, God. To say, God, listen, if you need to give me a triple or a quadruple spiritual bypass, I'm in. Bypass the hatred. Bypass the bitterness. Bypass that hidden sin. Let, let's clean this thing out because I want it to be pure before you. I don't, I don't want to have a spiritual heart attack, Lord. So search me and know my heart. I'm telling you, you pray that prayer and God will show you some things. You pray that prayer and God will reveal some things to you. And this is where you get to decide, can the power of that prayer change me? Yes, if you let it. Because if you ask God to search your heart, to know your heart, he'll tell you some things about you that you may or may not know, but when they're surfaced and when you see them, it will bring you to a decision-making point. And you have to say either yes to God or no to God. Search me and know my heart. Now, the next part of this prayer is equally as powerful. Essentially, David prays this. He says this. He says, and reveal my fears. Reveal my fears. He says it like this. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What are you, what are you afraid of? It's rhetorical. Don't answer it aloud. What, what, what is... What is your anxiety? What, what scares you? Now, come on. I'm not talking about snakes, although I'm there with you. Come on, in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about spiders, although, dear Lord, come on. Uh, somebody told me one time, check this out, that in your lifetime, you, while you sleep, you will eat eight spiders. Some of you will never sleep again. I just helped you <laughs> with sleep apnea. I don't know if it's true or not, but... I'm not talking about snakes and spiders. I'm not talking about clowns. Some people have a weird fear of clowns. They can't go to a circus because clowns are on you. How many of you don't lie? And I do want to see your hands. At some point when you went to the bathroom, you looked behind the shower curtain. Be honest right now. You look, and he, he, he wasn't there and he ain't going to be there. But I'm telling you, if he is there, I'm going to knock him in the nose in Jesus' name. But you just look to make sure. I'm not talking about those types of fears. What are you afraid of? What is your anxiety? What is that, that worry, that deep-rooted fear? The fear for some of you singles, I'll, I'll never meet the right person. I'll never get married. I'll, I'll be alone forever. For some of you married, we'll never, we'll never have a healthy marriage. We'll never be happy. I'll always be stuck in this dysfunctional home. For some of you, you're afraid of the future, not knowing what is to come because you, you have to know everything. 
So if I, if I don't know what tomorrow holds, then, then I'm terrified. But while you may not know what tomorrow holds, you should know who holds tomorrow. Come on. Um, many people are afraid of death. We, we fear this idea of dying and, and this one word, eternity, because there, there is no end to that. And so we, we fall into this fear of dying, but that, that's why you finding faith in the Lord is so important because we all will die. We, we all will face our maker on a day of judgment, and he will either say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never, never even knew you, or well done, thou good and faithful. You, you cannot escape death. You can, you can go to Arizona, and they can freeze your body, but you're still dead. But, but we have this fear. So why, why does this, this point matter, this part matter about reveal my fears? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I, I want to show you what the Lord put in my heart. And I want you to write this down and I don't want you to miss it. Here's why it's so important. Because what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. Because what... What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. Look at this. So if I'm scared that my marriage isn't going to work, then I'm not trusting God with my marriage. If, I, if, I, if I'm worried about the bills being paid, which, which you, have, you have a responsibility in, in the bill-paying process too. I've seen a lot of people say, God... Why didn't you supply my need? He did. You just went to Starbucks every day before work. Come on now. This ain't a financial sermon, but that was liberating for somebody. But if we say, God, I'm worried about paying my bills, then we're not really fully trusting God as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God, I'm, I'm worried about my children. What if, what if, what if? Every parent in this room has gotten caught up in that what if game when it comes to their children. But at the end of the day, we have to give our children to the Lord and say, God, I trust you with them. This is why this prayer that David prayed is simple yet powerful and effective and why we should pray it. God, reveal my fears. Test me. That is a dangerous prayer. Test me, God, and show me where my anxious thoughts fall. I don't have a ton of time to get into my own issues. Um, but, but I am going to pause and take the time to tell you one thing. When, when, I, when I pray this prayer, God, search me. Know my heart. Test me and show me my anxious thoughts. And I, I've tried to do that in preparation of this message all throughout this week. It's, it's immediate for me. I mean, there is one thing that surfaces far beyond, far greater than any other, any other issue that, that J.C.'s got. And I'm going to tell you what it is. And, and I'll, I'll put it out there for you. And now, and now you know how to pray for me. Is that fair? I have this massive fear of failing. Of failing. I am terrified to fail. As a matter of fact, so scared of failing that I almost said no to coming to this church and take on the leadership responsibility of one church in two locations because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to let my wife down. 
I didn't want to let my children down. I didn't want to let my in-laws down. didn't want to let my mom down. I, I have this fear of failing. I don't, I don't want to fail. Now, now, why is that a sin? Well, the fear of failing isn't necessarily the sin because we all wrestle with certain fears. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. But watch this. The reason that it can become a sin is because that fear of failing sometimes in JC's life can lead me to disobedience. James says, if you know the good you ought to do and choose not to do it, it's a sin. So when God is calling me to do something and I let the fear of failing get in the way of me saying yes to the call of God, now I'm out of the will of God, therefore I'm being disobedient. And disobedience is always a sin. And this fear of failing is a real issue for the calling on my life. It's a real issue because I'm called to be a pastor. And the lead pastor cannot be driven by fear. I have to be led by faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And watch this. Here's the God's honest truth, and then I'll move on. I believe with every fiber in my being, in the deepest part of the gut in my soul, that God has big things planned for our church and our churches. I believe that. I know that. I, I'm, I'm all in on that. But watch. But there's no guarantee that it's going to work. There, there was no guarantee that transitioning from Maryland, leaving by our address, the church that we planted to come and to take over, a church with four decades of history led by Bishop Alan Matura. Come on now. Now, I know he wears like a size five shoe, but those are big shoes to fill. <laughs> Maybe a six on a good day. <laughs> and when we got here, it doesn't help when one guy caught me in the hallway and he said, you know, you're not as good as your father-in-law. And I said, well, you're probably not as good as your father-in-law either. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I haven't seen him in a while. It's quite interesting. Now, I think I'm putting it all together. So here's what I do. I'm going to tell you what I do. This is therapy, okay? It's free. No charge. So here's what I do. I, and this is where I've conditioned myself to be. God, show, show me my anxious thoughts. Test me. So here's what I do. I work like it depends all on me. If any, anybody who knows me, if you really know me, my staff will tell you, my wife will tell you, my mom will tell you, my in-laws will tell you, I work I work. I mean, I'll put in the hours and then some. Anybody like that with me? Okay, why? Because I work, I work like it all depends on me. But then the Lord told me, you can do that, but I want you to pray like it all depends on me, him, Jesus. So that's what I've done. The way that we've been able to sustain transition and not, not only merge two churches, that's two companies, two organizations. Not only have we done that with grace and success, but God has sent increase 
at both levels. How? Because I work like it depends all on me, and I pray like it depends all on God. And I've conditioned my heart, and I've let the devil know. I've put him on notice that I love pleasing God more than I fear failing. Come on, church. I love being in his will more than I love the fear of failure. So when I pray, God, test me, God, know my anxious thought, this fear comes to my mind. So I, I quote scripture. I'm telling, I'm telling you what I do. because Is this helping anybody? Come on. This, this is what I do. God, God has not given me a spirit of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So here, I, I dare you. Let me take it back to middle school. I double dog dare you. To pray this prayer. God, search me. Know my heart. Test me. Reveal my fears. Because what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. And when you pray that prayer, suddenly an area, or for some of us, areas will surface. Well, you'll say, man, I'm really not trusting God there so much. And then, watch, then you're able to get down to the root of that issue, the root of that fear, the root of that anxiety. And then you can let the word of God, come on, church, the word of God speak to the root of the problem, and then there can be a moment. And it's in that moment where deliverance comes, where healing comes, where power comes, and you overcome the fear. Come on, help me preach for a moment. God does not want you to live in bondage. God does not want you to live in fear. But until you call it what it is and you stop band-aiding the problem, until you stop trying to cover up the anxiety and you say, God, tell me what it is. And when you show me, I'll give it to you. And when you give it to God, then all of a sudden he starts to work on that heart. He starts to work on that anxiety. And now once what was once a problem now turns into praise. I wish somebody would help me this morning. What was once a worry now turns into some worship. Come on, church. What was once a test now turns into a testimony. What was once a mess now turns into a message. Come on, church. And we overcome that fear. What, what is my fear? What is my anxiety? God, God will show you. Well, watch what he says. David keeps going. Got two more points. I got like five more minutes. Watch this. He says, he says, uncover my, uh-oh. Some of y'all were hoping we were done on point two. <laughs> uncover my sins. He says it this way. See if there is any offensive way in me. I'm being honest with you. The Lord, the Lord the Lord dropped this word in my heart for today. And when I, when I saw this in Psalm 139, here's, here's what I heard the Lord say. There, there is a significant difference between covering your sins and confessing your sins. And for some of us as Christians, and this is going to be like medicine, it's going to be hard to swallow, but you need to hear it and so do I. What, what we want to do is cover up the sin. Let, let's just pretend it away. Or this is, this is what so many Christians do. Come on. You walk into church and you got it all together, honey. I mean, you, 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 look, you, you look like you have got it all figured out. 
And that, that's why you create anxiety for some of us that don't have it all figured out because we look at you and think, their life is all together. Oh, their, their marriage is perfect. Their children are perfect. Look at them. Because you only see the pictures on Facebook of that family and not, not an inside, you know, interview to the ins and outs of the issues. Let me tell you, all of us have sinned. All of us have problems. All of us have dysfunction. All, all of us got issues. Come on now. Look at somebody and tell them, say, you as messed up as I am. Go ahead. Let it be liberating. Just tell them. This is what I often say. The one thing that helps me keep going is know that you're more jacked up than me. Come on now. Everybody in this room, everybody at Go Church, all of you online, listen to me. You are one crazy uncle away from the Jerry Springer show. I'm telling you right now. One family member away, and you're going to be on Judge Judy. That's all it takes because we all got issues. But what do we do? We, we, we cover up the sin. Instead of confessing, and when I saw this verse, see if there's any offensive way in me, immediately I thought, well, we're, we're conditioned that way since the beginning of humanity. When Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge, God said, don't. And then he said, no, 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 he don't, he don't really mean don't. He just means he doesn't want you to be enlightened to his knowledge. So you, you can take and eat. And what did they do? They, they ate. And when, and when God called them out, Adam blamed the woman. And men, we have been blaming women for our problems ever since. She made me do it. She didn't open your mouth, chew your teeth, and make you digest that fruit. We all make our own choices. But I want you to see this. Because when they ate the forbidden fruit, what, forbidden fruit, what did they do? Genesis 3, verse 7, the Lord showed me this. Come on, come on, TV, now's a good time to work. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. Or if you're in, you know, like Sanoa, they both realized they were naked. Watch. So they sewed fig leaves together and made what? They covered up themselves. They covered up the sin. So how do you know if you're covering up your sin or if you're confessing your sin? I'm so glad you asked. It's like you're feeding me this message. I'll tell you how. This is how you know. Three quick ways that you are covering up your sin instead of confessing your sin. The first one is this. When other people who love you, more than three, four, or five people who love you, tell you that you're in sin and you ignore them. So let me give you an example. And I'm going to move through these really quick. When someone says, you're an alcoholic. I love you enough to tell you that you're an alcoholic. And immediately you ignore them. And you, you say, I, I'm not, I, I, am, I am not an alcoholic. It's just a few drinks. Just, I, I've been stressed out. It's just a few drinks. So you ignore all the voices from the people that love you. That, that's when you're covering up the sin. Here's one. This is how you're covering up instead of confessing the sin. When, when you justify your behavior. So you try to make whatever it is you're doing that is wrong, you try to make it right. Here's one. I don't gossip. I just tell everybody so they know how to pray. I want the church to know. No, you, you are a gossip. But you justify it. And, and some people will even use scripture to back up. Well, Jesus drank wine. You ain't Jesus. 
when you get real defensive on the issue. That, that's when you know you're covering up the sin instead of confessing it. Here, here's one. Um, she's my girlfriend. We ought to live together before we get married. I, I've got to test drive the car before I buy it. I've heard that. No, listen to me. Premarital sex, cohabitation, it's a sin. I don't care what Hollywood tells you. I don't care what Atlanta tells you. I, I, don't, I don't care what government, I don't care what schools tell you. According to this book, there ain't no bing-bing without the ring-ring. Come on, somebody. You can tweet that. She's my girlfriend. We, we ought to live together. I got to make sure I love her. No, you should court her and date her. Get to know, you want to know her, spend more time with her family than you spend with her. Surround yourself with a cat. But when you get real defensive, she's my girl. That's my man. Okay. Listen, this ain't my word. This is the word of the Lord. You are covering the sin instead of confessing the sin. Look what King Solomon said. Man, I got to run. I got to hurry. Watch this. He who what? Come on, say it louder. He who what? Will not prosper. But whoever what? And forsakes them will have mercy. Let's talk about the spiritual discipline of confession. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins to who? He is what? Faithful and and what will he do? Forgive us of our sins. And what? Purify us from what? So God gives us an opportunity to, to remove the sowed fig leaves in our lives that we've tried to cover up the sin. He says, confess to me. If you confess your sins to God, he's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive you of every sin. He'll purify you, and, and he, will, he will purify us from all of our unrighteousness. But the discipline of confession doesn't just stop there. James says it like this. The brother of Jesus says, now therefore confess your sins to who? It's accountability. Confess your sins to God, and you receive salvation. Confess your sins to each other, and you receive healing. Do you see that? You receive healing. The prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. Search me. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sins. And then here's the final one. And lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. God, when I pray, you reveal to me the areas that I don't like about myself. You show me the areas that need to be changed. And now you can lead me in the way everlasting because I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And when you pray this prayer, lead me, this is what you're saying, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I need your power. Jesus, I need your grace. Jesus, I need your freedom. Lead me in the way everlasting way everlasting. Here's what I want you to do. Come on. On the count of three, can we read this together one more time? One, two, three. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, and this is what I heard. I'm going to give you three minutes, three minutes online in this room to pray this prayer between you and God. They'll play softly on the keyboard to set an atmosphere for you, but I don't want you to leave this room until you have earnestly prayed this prayer. It's going to be right here on the TV. You'll see it on the screen. You can turn around at the seat that you're sitting in and use that as an altar. You can come to the front. At the end of the three minutes, I'm going to pray for you. We're done.
we're done. But I want you to pray. Search me, God. Come on. Cry out to him, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Come on, can you pray? Come on. Come on, online, right where you are. Come on, I want you to pray. Search me, God. Search me. Know my heart. Not so that you can find something, but so that I can find something. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sin. Uncover my sin. And lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. room the spirit of the Lord is moving every head bowed every eye closed come on search me oh God know my heart know my fears see if there's any sin in my life I want to get this thing right and lead me because I don't want to go back to the bondage to the addiction to the sin I want to be free Nobody's looking. Listen to me. If you're here today 
and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't leave this room without saying yes to him. If you're online today and you don't know the Lord, you just tuned in somehow and you stumbled across the Facebook link or the live stream link and now the conviction of the Spirit is there. We are not good people, none of us, me included, but when we say yes to God, he, he cleanses us and purifies us from all of our unrighteousness. And then when we get in a church family with accountability, we find healing. If that's you today, Pastor Tracy, I just need, I need Jesus. I need to either commit my life to the Lord or I need to rededicate my life to Christ because I feel far from him. Come on, would you lift your hand? Nobody's looking, just me and the Lord. Come on, I see your hands. Come on, I see your hands. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray this prayer with you. Come on, can you put your hand over your heart right now? Father, thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for the stirring of the Spirit. May, may this simple, not safe, but simple prayer that David showed us bring us to a place of repentance and transformation. And may we fall in love with the power of prayer to know that when we pray, you hear us. And may we be sensitive to hear you back. Everybody in this room, everybody online, say this after me. Father God, search me. Know my heart. Know my fears. Reveal my sin. And lead me in the way everlasting. Forgive me of my wrong. Make me a new person today. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we put our hands together and love on the Lord today? Come on.